Well, good afternoon. Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome to another episode of You've Got the Power. Today, we're broadcasting live on the Centeno Schultz Clinic Facebook page. And welcome. Now is your time to ask questions to uh, Dr. Chris Centeno, the Chief Medical Officer of the Centeno Schultz Clinic in Colorado, as well as the Chief Medical Officer of the Regenex Affiliate Network of Regenerative Orthopedists Worldwide. Today's topic is shoulder pain at night. When you're sleeping in the middle of the night, does it keep you up? Either shoulder, is there something going on that you might be feeling or experiencing that you know something's just not right and you just want to know, are there solutions available? Maybe you've been to a doctor about it. They've recommended drugs, maybe even recommended surgery. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've just been struggling and suffering with shoulder pain at night. Dr. Centeno, welcome. And let's get into this important topic for a lot of people. They think they've got to live with it. You know, there are side sleepers that just can't seem to get off one side or the other, and they think of it as a cost of sleeping. Uh, what have you seen in your experience? What do people need to know about this condition? What might be causing it? And more important, what solutions, specifically drug-free and surgery solutions, should people be researching? Yeah. So, Jason, I think one of the biggest things we see with shoulder pain at night is uh, arthritis in the main shoulder joint. So the glenohumeral joint, uh, when that joint gets arthritic, uh, a lot of times people will be okay during the day initially, but they'll notice a lot of aching at night while the uh, shoulder sort of swells. And again, that's more aching type pain. Uh, doesn't really matter kind of how you position your shoulder, it's always there. Um, so there's one uh, type of shoulder pain at night, which is really uh, pain coming from the large shoulder joint due to arthritis. That's loss of cartilage, uh, bone spurs, et cetera. Then it's possible to have swelling in the bursa. There's a lubricating sac uh, called the subdeltoid bursa uh, that helps things move against each other. And that one tends to be also uh, pain at night, uh, but, but frequently pain during the day as well. And uh, how you position your shoulder at night may help quite a bit there. Then you've got a rotator cuff tear, which is uh, a tear in the muscles that help to move the shoulder around. And sometimes those will hurt at night, although not as frequently as arthritis in the main shoulder joint. And then you can also have referred pain coming from your neck that goes down into the shoulder. Usually that's a C5 nerve or uh, sometimes a facet joint in the neck. So those are the main causes of shoulder pain at night that we see. Biggest one is arthritis in the main shoulder joint. And you know, you mentioned an important factor to this, and that's, uh, show, are there a difference in diagnosis for someone? Is there a different level of concern for someone uh, if they feel it at night only versus night and day? Is that a distinguishing factor for people to understand? or? How do they know when it's serious enough that they should be reaching out and asking for help and not, and not just a side effect of being a side sleeper? Yeah, listen, if you can change how you sleep and it completely goes away um, and then that problem resolves enough so you can go back to sleeping like that and you've got no problems, then uh, you've got nothing to worry about. Now, another possible cause of shoulder pain at night could be something like a tumor. Uh, but that's extremely rare. So, uh, and that would be chronic unrelenting pain that doesn't seem to ever change. 
but usually if you've got arthritis in the shoulder, you kind of know it. It hurts a little bit during the day and then hurts more at night. So it's not just only shoulder pain at night. Uh, and, and again, realize at the end of the day, uh, when you should do something is when it's just not going away. So you might take a day or two of some monstrual anti-inflammatory drugs or Tylenol and uh, rest it and see if it all goes away. If it's not going away after that first week or two, then it's time to, to ask for some help and to get it looked at. And an important thing for them to make sure that they are doing. Will they also notice things like uh, restrictions in range of motion? Will they have full mobility? Uh, would they have any x-rays or other imaging that might confirm something that you know, would either either confirm or deny a particular diagnosis that would be worse or better than the other? I just want people to have a great sense of either, you know, I'm okay, I'm gonna live with it, I've had it checked out, it's safe, versus those are some signals and signs that should concern me and I should be reaching out for help. And again, we're gonna reiterate, help does not mean a prescription medication so that you can numb the pain and continue doing what's causing the damage. Help is finding out what the actual mechanism of injury or the actual cause is so that you can correct the cause and allow your body to actually function properly and thus not creating the pain which is really your body's way of always saying to pay attention inside now. I just want to make sure people at home listening, whether they're listening on a replay or now, are able to say, okay, I'm safe versus this is an issue. I need to go get checked out. Yeah, again, when it's not going away after that first few weeks uh, and, and really continues to be an ongoing problem, that's when you want to get it checked out. Now, we've got a, a national network of doctors who can look at this a little differently because one of the problems with getting it checked out traditionally is that many times you'll get a high-dose steroid injection put into the joint, which can hurt the joint and kill cartilage. Also realize, to answer your other question from before, that uh, if you've got a lot of arthritis in that main shoulder joint, usually it's associated with range of motion loss. So that means that if you, you know, bring your shoulders out to the side, one may not go out as far uh, as the other. If you're trying to reach behind your back, that one doesn't go as far back there. Or you might have a hard time getting that one fully up like this. So all of those things uh, really move in the direction more of arthritis in the main shoulder joint is the cause. And something that you should get checked out simply because the longer you wait with that stuff, the less likely it is that newer injection-based treatments that can help repair tissue are going to be effective. And you don't want to push it into that place where the only thing that you can possibly get is a big surgery. Let's go to some questions. If you are watching again, whether you're watching us live, hi, nice to see you, or the replay. Uh, we do this program on Mondays and Fridays to take your questions and give you access really to the world's foremost expert in regenerative orthopedics and orthobiologics to give you the answers that you're looking for. I'll mention one more thing before we go to the question, which is if you are curious, if you have coverage by your employer for procedures provided by the Regenex network, then you should be looking at regenexcoverage.com. Check out if you're one of the 8 million people whose employers are offering access 
to Regenex procedures covered because they know that more natural conservative approaches that focus on correcting the cause get you healthier, faster, for less money, which is great for everyone, especially you. So RegenexCoverage.com is the uh, website you can check out to find out if your employer is covering you. Let's hit some questions. Uh, this was submitted in advance by Carrie Shimkis. Uh, the question is, does a, rotator does a rotator cuff tear get worse over time if not treated, or can it heal? Yeah, so if the tears are smaller, then uh, they can heal on, them, on their own over time. Uh, and this has been looked at from a research perspective as well. So if it's a larger, uh, let's say, medium-sized tear, just to put a, a, a name on it that I think everyone will understand, uh, more of those will kind of stay the same over time uh, versus advance and get larger. Uh, frequently, patients are pushed into quick surgery with this concept of, hey, this is just going to get bigger, got to treat it now. So realize that most rotator cuff tears that you could get will probably either heal or stay the same size. Uh, and then some will advance into a bigger tear. So uh, at the end of the day, a lot of these will heal, and the ones that don't heal are usually pretty stable. And then every once in a while, you'll get one that uh, turns into something bigger uh, with time and, and just daily use. Outstanding. Let's get to some of our friends over here. Uh, Rachel's watching. Hi, Rachel. Uh, she says, ugh, I thought it was just me. Uh, then goes on to say, yes, frozen, frozen shoulder symptoms. I have that. Uh, any comments on Rachel's situation? Frozen shoulder? Yeah, you know, uh, frozen shoulder is... Uh, so let's just talk a little bit about what that is. So when we say that, the medical term is adhesive capsulitis. And generally what that means is that the shoulder uh, joint capsule, which allows motion to shrink, shrink wrap down uh, around the bone. And that can usually be due to excess inflammation. And so then you lose range of motion in your shoulder. Now, the good news is if there isn't a lot of arthritis in the shoulder, we can usually perform a platelet lysate hydrodilatation. So what that means is that will numb up the inside of the shoulder with a cartilage-friendly anesthetic, usually ropivacaine. Then we'll go ahead and inject uh, both low-dose anti-inflammatory and platelet growth factors and, and kind of uh, fill up the joint capsule to stretch it out. And then we will put the shoulder through range of motion to break up any of those adhesions. And usually that's pretty effective in getting range of motion back. Now, if there's a lot of arthritis, uh, then that can be harder to do because there may be bone spurs that are kind of blocking it. Important details to find out. Our friend Doug is asking, hey, Doug, uh, he says, I'm in week nine of post-PRP right shoulder joint. When I started PT, I couldn't even raise my arm one inch. I can raise my arm over my head now, but external rotation exercise is still weak and painful. Should I just give PT more time? Yeah, so let's see, you're in uh, uh, week five, was it? Week nine. Week, nine, week nine, post PRP, right shoulder. Yeah, so, so generally, uh, when it comes to PRP in the shoulder, it's about three months until people turn the corner. 
So what I mean by that is that we'll have patients coming in at two months, there's not much difference. Then at three months, they'll see a dramatic difference. So I'd actually give it to that 12-week mark uh, before you kind of give up on it. If at that point, it's really not feeling any better, then it probably needs to be re-imaged. And it's possible you may need more bone marrow concentrate type treatment in that shoulder. Uh, but I'd give it to, to week 12 because we see a lot of people at week eight who are saying, you know, this isn't really doing anything. And they come back at, at week 12 and they're like, oh, yeah, now, now it's a lot better. There you go. Oftentimes, people need to know healing is a process. And uh, the more you are engaged in that process, doing your physical therapy, motion, movement, exercises, really retraining your body's muscles and nerve systems to a new healthy, a new normal. It's not uncommon that uh, the, ner the nerve system gets used to pain, get used to the damage. It adapts accordingly. And there's a healing process once it's corrected as well that takes some time. Uh, it's known as rehabilitation. It's also known as healing. And healing is a process that takes some time. Let's go to more questions. Uh, this one was submitted previously by Sanjay Sharma. Uh, regarding spine treatment, the question is, how platelet lysate prepare from own blood? How different from autologous PRP? And will it be injected inside intradiscal or epidural space? So three for one there. Obviously not about the shoulder this time, but uh, you got them? Yeah. So, so basically, the difference between platelet lysate and PRP is a platelet lysate, uh, that word lysis means to break open. So it means you're breaking open the platelets to get those healing growth factors out. Uh, whereas PRP has those healing growth factors inside the platelet, but then they uh, are released or what's called degranulate over about uh, a week. So really, it's the difference between an immediate release pill uh, that has a higher dose of something, in this case, platelet growth factors, versus a sustained release pill that releases its stuff over time. So platelet lysate would be the immediate release. Uh, PRP would be the sustained release. Uh, as far as injecting into the spine, yes, uh, platelet lysate can be injected epidural. We generally don't do that with PRP because it tends to be a little bit more pro-inflammatory. We don't want a lot of inflammation around nerves. And then we've got discs, um, and discs can be treated with PRP, usually high-dose uh, red or leukocyte-rich. PRP. So all of those things can be treated uh, with PRP or platelet lysate, depending on what it is we're treating. I, I find many of these questions uh, fascinating from the consumer standpoint. Uh, oftentimes, um, it, it's sort of remarkable to me that I'll say consumers, non-doctors, non-professionals, uh, understand the implications and the differences, for example, of treating the disc versus uh, epidural and so on. What do people need to know about your expertise, uh, yours specifically, Centeno Schultz, uh, as well as the training at the Regenex Network? I find it uh, interesting hosting these programs, watching, reading, you know, at this point, hundreds of questions that come in from people um, that they, to some degree, want to play their own doctor, uh, as if they've got some level of professional ability to, to know the priorities, know the differences, know better from worse versus understanding the difference in doctors' training, in doctors' intentions, uh, incentives. And instead of trying to self-diagnose and self-recommend your own care plan, 
really understanding who the best experts are you should be working with to co-develop something. Um, so help people understand wh why Centeno Schultz, why the Regenex Network, and why knowing certain answers to certain questions doesn't get you really the response you want, which is a doctor you can trust through this process so that as more and more questions come up, uh, as more and more decisions have to be made about what's right and wrong, they know they've got a partner who can really help guide them because they're looking out for their best long interest and aren't really motivated the same, with the same financial incentives. Again, that drugs, surgeries, and large medical institutions like hospitals tend to put first in most cases, most of the time. Yeah. So, uh, Listen, I think the first thing to go back to uh, from his question that's critical is to recognize that about 90% of the spine injections you could get today are what I call fake and bake. Um, that means that they're not being done by a qualified expert who uses x-ray guidance to place the needle in very specific spots like the disc or like epidural. Uh, both of those were just talked about in that question. So be very, very careful there. Uh, a lot of times all that's happening is someone sticking a needle into the muscle and calling that uh, a disc stem cell injection. They're nowhere near the disc, and the cells don't magically swim from the muscle in through the spinal canal into the disc. just doesn't happen. So there's that issue. Then there's the issue of uh, training within the Centeno-Schultz uh, clinic. Uh, we have doctors who are all fellowship trained in this specific area. Uh, we were really the first doctors on earth to inject uh, stem cells into a disc uh, some 15 years ago now. Uh, so we've got a lot of expertise in doing that. Uh, and then when it comes to the progenics network at large, again, we can pick those doctors, we train those doctors. And then there's the concept of being your own doctor versus uh, getting educated. Um, you and I go back and forth on this all the time. You know, my perspective, I think, is it's better to have an educated patient that knows more. I'd rather that than someone who just comes in and puts, says, Doc, you know, I'll do whatever uh, you want to do and doesn't ask any questions. Um, so, you know, I, I think being educated is great. Now, that, there can sometimes be a fine line there between being ed educated and understanding what's going on or trying to understand it. And then trying to become your own doctor and drive the bus. Uh, and yes, that can be a problem. If you try to drive the bus, uh, you may drive it into, you know, uh, uh, another bus or something. I mean, you don't have the experience, obviously, to know how to drive the medical bus. But I think a lot of, of patients get there because they're so frustrated that they're not getting answers and uh, that they just don't feel like the answers they're getting are the right ones. So I definitely encourage patients to get educated. Completely agree. Um, and that is exactly the fine line I'm referencing is it's one thing to have a, a co-pilot. And obviously, people have to make their own decisions. It is your health. It's your responsibility. Um, and, and I get that over time and frustration, you just keep looking for answers. Um, but you did hit on exactly the points I hope people are really hearing, that part of the information is to know answers to you know, where is it going and is it going here or is it going there? But the deeper issues really are, and are you using x-ray guidance as an example? 
Are you using, you know, uh, the right type of technology in order to be able to create the right orthobiologic to be used? Um, so there's always more to this story that without the experience, it's hard to put in context what those answers really mean. So we do this program because we do want you to be educated about what's going on. We want you to have access uh, to the answers to these questions, not against all of that. But I just remind people to uh, really put the priority as to not try to play your own doctor per se, and as Dr. Centeno says, drive the bus completely yourself, but to realize that there are experts who can help guide you, maybe they're co-pilots, uh, to make sure you can, they can help you navigate ultimately, which is your decision. Um, going to answer a few more questions here as we get to our half hour. Kathy's asking the question, where will I find the replay link? Uh, you will find it right where you're watching this video right now. Uh, it doesn't go away. It's on this page. It will stay on this page. So uh, if you would like to click the share button down below, if that was the question uh, on how do I share it with other people, you can click share. Uh, otherwise, you can uh, just come back to this page anytime, click play, watch the video. Um, another way to share this is in the comments section. If there is someone you are friends with, already connected to on Facebook specifically, uh, you can put their name in a sort of highlight. You can bold their name and oftentimes they will then be uh, notified that you're watching this and they should too as well. Let's go back to another follow-up question with our friend Rachel. She says, uh, a really quick aside, I hope that's okay. It is for you. Uh, I had stem cells in my CCJ exactly four months ago. Is it possible to see gains going forward or the four-month mark nets all gains I can expect to see from that treatment? No. Um, yeah, this is a good question because it gets to the speed of ligament healing and how that works. So in, in big ligaments that we can easily see, like the knee ACL, and that we're really good at imaging, right? We've been imaging uh, ACL and MRIs for decades. Uh, we can really see a lot of detail in what's happening to those ligaments. So when we treat those ligaments with bone marrow concentrate, if the patient is, is young, and I mean in their 20s, um, we can see maximum healing at that three to four month range. But if the patient is middle-aged or older, uh, we tend to see that that ligament can take some time. So for example, it looks pretty good at three months. It looks a lot better at six months. It looks great at nine months. So I would say that you're still getting ligament healing, most people are, unless you're in your 20s, um, between that, let's say, three-month mark and nine-month mark. Uh, if you're younger, then it's probably going to max out more quickly, maybe at six months. If you're older, let's say in your 50s like I am, probably looking at nine months. Uh, so most of what you would get, I would, in, as far as symptom relief, is probably going to happen within that first four months. Uh, maybe it might extend out to five or six, but for most people in that first four months. But that's not to say you won't get uh, additional healing within the ligament. That can extend out all the way to nine months based on the research we've done uh, on ACLs where we can very clearly see uh, the ligament. Uh, these CCJ ligaments can be seen, but not at the same level of detail that you can see, to see a knee ACL ligament on MRI. I, I have to, I guess, follow that up with uh, what role or what opportunity um, does somebody have in their lifestyle choices? I know that the question tends to come from 
you know, how do I know it will work? Um, but we also know that everybody is unique and different. And depending on their lifestyle, it can be affected by people's lifestyle. Uh, damaging toxic lifestyle will inhibit healing. A more healthy, uh, active lifestyle can uh, enhance healing. Uh, what role, in your opinion, does uh, somebody's lifestyle have in uh, in that healing process? You know, how much can they contribute and what are maybe some of those specific things that they could be making sure they're checking the boxes, that they're putting all the momentum in their favor to get the, all the healing that they're looking for? Yeah, so there are lifestyle choice, choices like diet. Um, you know, exercise for CCJ patients or CCI patients is very difficult. So that one's not going to necessarily be there for most of those patients. But uh, diet would be one. Uh, we've got a great book uh, called Nutrition 2.0 on the Regenics website uh, written by Dr. Pitts from our clinic that goes over a really good diet to follow. Uh, supplements may, so controlling inflammation with supplements like turmeric, uh, high-dose fish oil, things like that. Uh, so those are the two biggest things other than exercise. Uh, again, exercise sometimes works well because the person can do it with their injury, but sometimes they, they can't. I was going to, uh, again, suggest uh, perhaps uh, supplements, making sure, especially the, what I call the stem cell juice, um, you know, many of the supplementation you can take to make sure your body has the nutrients necessary to heal as efficiently as possible. Um, and what, what role does sleep, getting a good night's sleep, really when, you know, like charging your phone, you know, you, you stop using it, you put it on the charger, and it's going to, uh, you know, recharge, rejuvenate as best it possibly can. Um, major factor, not a major factor. What are your thoughts? Yeah, sleep can definitely make a difference. Again, I think we have to make sure we're keeping it in context to the injury. So if you've got yeah. a knee injury, sleeping's probably not a big deal. You've got a neck injury like craniocervical instability, it might be very difficult to find the right position uh, to sleep in. But you know, obviously, I think getting a lot of sleep uh, and focusing on your sleep uh, would be something that would be good, meaning that let's say you're someone that only usually ever gets six hours You'd want to be that person who then says, no, I'm going to dedicate eight or nine hours to, to staying in bed. Uh, and that may make a, a big difference, just that one little change. That's exactly where, uh, where I was hoping you would go. It, it does matter. And it's not just how does it work. It's also how well are you working your own healing process? And together, that's how different people get different levels of results. Um, so that is the, I'll say, opportunity uh, maybe I'll say responsibility too, for that matter. But uh, Rachel's just saying that uh, she says, thank you for the good news. She's 54. Uh, so that tells her she's got more uh, healing to happen and more results that she can experience. We're up at our half hour. Today's topic is all about shoulder pain at night. You want to make sure if you are feeling shoulder pain in day or at night, uh, that it's not a progressive condition that you're just letting get worse over time. That if this is something that's chronic, if it's something that continues to bother you, uh, and you know it's not really going away after several weeks on its own, it might be a good time to get a professional evaluation. Again, we will remind you that a professional evaluation should not lead to, well, here's a prescription for painkillers, and when it gets bad enough, let us know we can do steroid injections and surgery because unfortunately that is the pathway to really allowing your condition to progressively get worse. 
Drugs do not correct the cause of these problems. They simply mask the symptoms, allowing for the problem to get worse over time. Steroid injections have not shown uh, to heal these issues. Yes, they may temporarily relieve the pain for a short period of time at best, but they also accelerate the degeneration of the joint over time, according to the research in the studies. Uh, and surgery is typically not a solution for most people most of the time. Yes, in rare circumstances, if you've tried everything else and you still are suffering, then maybe there's a time and place for it. But rarely does it make sense for it to be in your early stages of consideration. What does make the most amount of sense, of course, is what Dr. Chris Centeno was talking about here and what our doctors on the Regenex network do consistently day in and day out. And that's an effective and uh, extensive examination to really make sure you have an accurate diagnosis. You've got a wrong diagnosis, you're gonna have a wrong treatment. So it starts with getting an accurate, correct diagnosis. And then it starts with what, the, then it goes on to what are the appropriate treatments that will help your body repair and heal the actual injury, therefore not requiring ongoing pain medications or pain management or additional treatment later on. Dr. Centeno, great topic for today. Any closing comments people need to know as they uh, uh, get ready to hopefully have a great week and then join us Friday on the Regenex page. Closing comments and thoughts. Yeah, just that at the end of the day, uh, just echo what you're saying, and that is getting uh, a good diagnosis is important. Getting back to the shoulder pain at night stuff real quick, um, figuring out why that's happening is pretty critical, and doing it sooner rather than later is a good idea. And then with regard to the other stuff we've talked about, uh, especially when it comes to spinal injections, you know, really, really critical to make sure that what you're getting is what you think you're getting. I can't tell you how many patients I've talked to through the years who believe that their facet joint was injected or their disc was injected. I look at the notes and say, uh, nope, they never got close to either one of those structures. So I'm sorry you paid 5,000 bucks for that, but uh, they didn't give you what you thought you were going to get. There you go. If you'd like to find out if you've got coverage for your care uh, by a Regenex provider nationwide, then go to uh, regenexcoverage.com. We'll leave the link down below. We thank you for your questions. We thank you for your time. You are invited to join us this Friday on the Regenex Facebook page. As you know, we broadcast on Mondays here at the Centeno Schultz page on Fridays at the Regenex page. We're here live answering your questions because ultimately you have the power to make the right decisions about your body and how to best take care of it for today and for your future. On behalf of Dr. Chris Centeno, I'm Dr. Jason Dykstra. Thank you so much for watching our show. If you've enjoyed it, please consider sharing it with others. If you're watching the replay, you've got questions, leave them down below. Thank you for watching. We'll see you Friday on the Regenix page. Have a great week, everyone.